Uh, it's a little more intimate of a group this morning. Pastor Mike is on vacation still, and we have a group that goes and ministers to the fair workers at the Ozark Empire Fair. Um, so we'll keep them all in prayer today. Uh, additionally, we have boys camp coming up this week, and another piece of information that was shared with me as the first time I'd heard it this morning is, well, you know they have to be down there at four, the counselors, so Sam, Alex, and Caden are all going to be junior counselors for the first time, and I learned that today, well, they have to be down there at four o'clock today. Perfect. We have a baseball game we're going to, so I guess we're not. So... Um, Anyway, so for the first time, Melissa and I are going to have the house to ourselves for a while. To ourselves for a while, uh, Sam's going as a junior counselor. Christopher's going as a camper for the first time. Um, now, if you don't know, Melissa and I moved out here back in 2004 from Northwest Georgia um, or South uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee area, and for my job, to the chagrin of our families. But when we moved, we thought, eh, we're not going to have kids, so who cares if there's a little bit of distance between us and our parents? We have cars, and plane tickets aren't that much. Well, fast forward. Um, now we have two boys and no family to come watch them, and I'm incredibly cheap, too cheap to pay a babysitter most of the time, so suffice it to say, we're excited for boys camp this week. No offense, Sam. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Um, but seriously, we'll keep those boys and the leaders in our prayers this week as well. We're down to about three weeks before school starts back, and I'm sure that reminder will either make you groan, cry, or say amen this morning. Uh, as you may have guessed, I'm in the latter category. Again, sorry, Sam. I love you. I'm just tired of looking at you. Um, you're adorable. Nobody can be tired of looking at you. COVID has made school a challenge for many school employees, teachers, students, so let's be sure to keep them in our prayers this week. Um, in fact, before we go any further, let's take a moment and pray right now. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word with the people. God, um, we just lift up the boys going to camp this week, the campers, the junior counselors, the counselors, and the adults that will be leading. God, I just pray that um, you will open the word, open opportunities and just help all the boys and all the men that are there um, learn something and grow in their faith. God, we uh, lift up the teachers, staff, students, everybody that's going to go back to school here in just a few weeks. God, I pray for patience for, for one another. God, I pray for uh, the parents to prepare their, their children and say, hey, you know, behave, do the right thing. Um, God, because it just makes for a longer day when you're dealing with rambunctious kids. And um, at any rate, God, we um, again lift up Pastor Mike while he's on vacation and his family. God, give them rest, uh, give them uh, an, an opportunity to recharge and come back and be ready to go. And uh, God, uh, again, be with me this morning as I try to share your word. Uh, don't let anything come out of my mouth that isn't from you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump into it. And as a reminder, as I, I remind you this every time I preach, I will be reading my notes, and this is for a couple of reasons. Number one, I need them. And number two, if I don't stick to my notes, we'll either be done in five minutes or five hours. So if the notes hold, we should be out of here in 21 minutes. So somebody set a timer. We'll, we'll, we'll check that. I've known I was going to be preaching this week for quite some time, and when it popped up on my calendar that it was a month away, I texted Melissa, who was at work, and said, hey, be thinking of praying about what my sermon needs to focus upon, because as of right now, I have nothing. Um, just a few days later, I dropped Sam off for weights, as he goes, he used to go every single day 
um, and then was taking Christopher into Spark in Springfield. I stopped, as I do almost every day, at the post office after dropping Sam off, and Christopher and I went into the post office, got the stuff, came back out, and go to pull out from the post office. And suddenly, I hear a sound that really I can only describe one way. If you took a, a bunch of feral cats and threw them into a burlap sack and just started going like this, that's what it sounded like. Um, and I'm pretty particular about my car and always have been from a 1993 ZX to a 1985 Chevy S10 to a 93 Subaru Impreza to an 02 Lancer, uh, 05 Honda CRV, and all the way to my Subaru Legacy today. I keep my cars clean, running well, so as you might imagine, I had no idea what was happening. I pulled into the parking lot across the street from the high school, turned the wheel all the way to the left, don't feel anything, all the way to the right, there's nothing there. Um, certainly nothing that felt like it sounded like a bag of cats being tortured. I uh, got back into the car, told Christopher we'd be returning home to get our extra car, and then we'd go on to drop him off. So up 125 we go. I kid you not, like my ears were ringing with the windows up, sunroof closed, just with this noise. So we get, finally get home, we get into the pilot, drop, to head into uh, Spark. What school is that in? Uh, so Pershing off Sunshine. So it, it's a good long drive. And every time that there was a stoppage or a red light, I would get on my phone and go, what would make this sound? Why is this happening? So I found all sorts of things. Um, Let's see, a brake pad could be worn or turned sideways, a rotor could need to be turned, a brake caliper could have malfunctioned, all the way to a guy saying, yeah, when that happened to me, I needed a whole new front end put in my car. Oh, awesome. So as you can imagine, I was not thrilled about this. I got home, clicked on another link in the list, and there was a guy that said he had pulled the wheel off his car, took a screwdriver, went around the entire heat shield that sits between the wheel and the rotors, and he found a rock that was causing all that racket. All right, now this is something I can do. This will be the, certainly the cheapest option by far. Get the wheel off, take my flathead screwdriver, go around, pulling the heat shield off, nothing, nothing, nothing. Finally, a little tiny pebble falls out. And I'm like, there's no way that's it. So set that aside, keep going, finish going around, do a couple of the things that I found online to do. There's nothing. And I'm like, okay. Well, as you can see right there, um, I get the wheel back on, get the lug nuts tightened, but not too tight, because I assumed I was pulling this right back off. I ease out of the garage, complete silence. This guy right here was causing all of that racket. So again, I had just texted Melissa and said, what do you think I should preach about? Well, I saw this and I was like, okay, Lord, message received, the little things. That subject was confirmed about a week later when I came up to the church building to make sure we had sufficient supplies for Wednesday night in the park and to work on the security system a little bit. Open up the door. It was probably 95 degrees outside. Open up the door, walk into the sanctuary. It's 102, or in, in the foyer. I'm like, it's like 102 in here. So sure enough, I go over to the thermostat. It's set to 73. It's reading 80. I remember what it was, 83, 85, something like that. Walked in here, cooler. Walked down the hallway, cooler. Okay, well, it's that AC unit. Flipped it on and off. Found the breakers, flipped them on and off. Went up to the unit. I don't know what I'm looking at when I look at an AC unit. I'm like, it's not running. Got it. So... <laughs> Um, called our personal AC guy, told him what was going on. He said, yep, I'll be out there, meet you out there tomorrow. Sure enough, he meets me out here the next morning, um, looks at it, and he's like, oh, I think I know what's going on. Where are your actual units? And I said, upstairs. So we go upstairs, and he goes through the whole thing, checks the connections, everything's testing fine, everything's reading okay, 
And then um, he takes his flashlight, because it's dark up there, and goes over here, and he's like, oh, well, hold on, and he opens up this thing. And it's a switch with a box underneath it with an old school fuse. Next slide. So you'll see one of those is perfect and fine. The other one is bubbled. And I say bubbled because it's not yet blown, but it has capped completely over the top of the fuse. He said, there's your problem. He said, that is a uh, $3 fuse. And he said, so I will give you, I'll replace that one and then give you two more if this happens again. And is that going to fix it? That'll fix it. Very confident. All right, sounds good. And he said, okay, so the call is $75 and the fuses are $5 a piece. Here's what I'm going to do. Rather than charging you that, why don't you take 80 bucks and move it out of the general fund into the youth fund? We'll call it even. So praise God for uh, sending a good godly man to be the one to do that. But again, the little things. All right, so I heard the message. God, I get it. Preach about the little things. Had a couple of verses came to mind. I was like, yep, got it. Well, God apparently wasn't done driving this home to me because... Uh, the coup de grace happened on Tuesday night. After, again, the sermon's pretty much written. Our former neighbor had built some shelving units for his garage. He decided to go a different way with storage and offered them to me, you know, after we moved several months ago. I accepted. He came out, helped me put them together, got them put against the wall, and he put a single, um, what do you call it, that you mount it to the wall, uh, wall anchor, and he said, so you're going to want to put some more with that at some point. Okay. I don't know if you guys know or not, but I'm fairly terrible memory. So sure enough, it sits there. Everything's doing well. Earlier, like Monday, I go out, I pull into the garage, and I'm like, man, that thing's leaning. So it's usually up against the wall, and it's like, you know, leaning out. And I'm like, okay, I've got to do something about that. It's 102 in the garage. Not going to do it today. Go, and she kind of shoves stuff back up against the wall, and it leans back a little bit. So Tuesday evening comes. Melissa and I are coming out of the bedroom, going into the kitchen for dinner. And we walk by the garage, the door that goes out to the garage, there's a tremendous noise. And I'm telling you, it was like, I mean, Melissa will attest to this. It was like, wah! And I'm like, shelves fell. And she's like, what? How do you know that? And we open the door, sure enough, the shelving unit, next slide, had fallen and crushed my car. And again, we just talked about this. I'm pretty particular about my car, so I saw that and... Yeah, the, uh, the Holy Spirit really had to work on me at that moment because I'm like, this is a problem. So um, sure enough, we get it all off. The biggest, I mean, the most noticeable thing was the windshield was completely shattered. And um, as Caden Campbell would tell you, I replaced a windshield in my car once already. And then not too long ago, I had to do it again. So I'm on windshield number four in this car. So yeah, that was great, but uh, yeah, the hood and the front corner panel are just jacked, so that's pretty exciting. But again, it was a wall anchor this big that had failed, which there's no reason to have you know, 10,000 pounds of stuff on a shelf like that with a single wall anchor. So yeah, so all of these happenings reminded me that we allow the smallest things to ruin what can be the bigger picture, to negatively impact what otherwise is a positive thing. We should not allow small things to ruin the big picture. All right, so enough illustrative stories. Let's get into the Word. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Matthew 13. And for real, if you need a Bible, we have four sitting up here. We have a bunch in the foyer. We've got, we got them in the classrooms. If you need one, just find somebody that goes here all the time. Come get them now, whatever you need. But we have them that you can even take home with you. All right, next slide. Matthew 13, 31. 
He, being Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And then just a few chapters later, Jesus goes back to the mustard seed illustration. And this is Matthew 17. Matthew 17, 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and suffers terribly, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And this is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. So we know Jesus never sinned, but that kind of felt like, oh boy, I'm going to have a talk with these guys. Verse 18, and Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So on top of find, you know, figuring out that Jesus never sinned and just got frustrated right then, it was also kind of a humbling moment for me to, you know, I, I know stuff pretty much, but I know nothing about the size of a mustard seed or what a mustard plant slash tree looks like. So um, I thought mustard was made at the Reckitt Benkiser or French's plant down the road there. I had no idea it came from trees. I did, but not really. Anyway, um, so I crack open the John MacArthur Bible Commentary to this passage and also search online for mustard tree. So from MacArthur, Palestinian mustard plants are large shrubs, sometimes up to 15 feet high, certainly large enough for birds to lodge in. This verse, reverse, this verse refers to several Old Testament passages that prophesied the inclusion of Gentiles in the kingdom of God. So it was prophesied that us, who would have been classified as Gentiles back then, would be included in God's kingdom. And here's what I found online regarding a mustard tree. So that is a mustard tree. Its height is usually between 6 and 20 feet, but it can grow up to 30 feet. Its leaves can grow as wide as 11 inches. This was all news to me. So how big is a mustard seed? We've heard growing up that a mustard seed is tiny. And there it is. So we know and have known that God can take a tiny seed and turn it into a mighty tree, but there are people that don't believe and can't fathom that a human baby starts out smaller than that. Um, anyway, I'm not going to go into further issues with that, but we'll just move on. All right, now, uh, next slide. James 3, 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Important part right here, verse 8. But no human can tame the tongue. 
It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Verse 9, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The tongue. Now, I understand many people have issues with saying too much, saying the wrong thing, saying things before they think them through, and more. We need to pray for these people. Sinners. Are you kidding me? That is me to an absolute T. You might have noticed that I'm not a small fellow, but most of the people I choose to spend time with, not only here at church, but also outside of church, are bigger and more intimidating than me. This is because I've been around me in social situations, and I know that sometimes really stupid stuff is going to roll off my tongue. Just come by our small group sometime if you don't recognize that I surround myself with intimidating men. The guys are me, Dave, Derek, Officer Tank Top. I mean, uh, yes, okay. Um, he's, is Nate in here? Nate's not even in it. Ah, man. So we call Nate Officer Tank Top because he showed up to small group in a tank top once. <laughs> and he looks... Sp- Far better than I would in a tank top, so don't tell him I'm jealous, but I'm jealous. Um, so all these men I have convinced to take up from you, my mouth gets out of control. I choose to spend time with Darren, Jackson, Kendrick, Jason, others. I mean, large intimidating men. When you get to know these guys, you know they're not that intimidating, but it was the same deal in high school and college. I remember many times in college hanging out in pool halls, and there are photos sitting, of me sitting betwixt and behind very large and intimidating-looking men who were looking annoyed because I had said something they were going to have to back up. Well, you know what your problem is, and then I would just kind of just sink back and just let them handle it. Now, over the last several years, I've calmed that down significantly, but having tough friends never hurts anything. But I do think we all need to guard what comes out of our mouths. Um, and again, this preaching to myself as much as in, to anyone else. This starts by guarding what goes into our ears. It's not a secret that I enjoy rap music and have uh, since I was way too young to be listening to it. As I've matured in my faith, and particularly once we had kids, um, I recognize that most of the content in those songs is total and complete garbage. Now, I also recognize that country songs about killing your cheating spouse, drinking to excess, and driving way too fast are no better, but I digress. Isn't that right, Mel B? (laughs) Uh, The last thing I'll say on the subject is from Matthew 12, 34. For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So let's make sure we fill our hearts and minds with words from God. How awesome would it be for Bible verses to roll off your tongue when frustrations arise? Um, I'll talk more about this later, but Darren and I did some driving for the Light the Way concert, and one of the artists I chauffeured around during that concert or th- during the event was Ben Fuller. He, he fa- while he was with me, he faced quite a few problems. We got to the hotel that didn't have his reservation. One of his bandmates called and said, hey, my flight's deli- delayed. I'm not going to make it. And every time something bad or questionable happened, he answered the same way. He said, praise Jesus, I'm sure there's a reason. And he would just roll on. And the first time he said that, I was like, yeah, and then what? And like, oh. And he just kept saying it every time something would happen. Um, Oh, for that to be my go-to. Like, what an example. I mean, this guy, early 30s maybe? I mean, like, nowhere. I mean, there's no reason for him to be that as mature as he is, but I will explain more about that later. All right, so slide eight, Galatians 5.9. Galatians 5.9, a little leaven 
leavens the whole lump. Now, the ESV study Bible points you to the following verses that say similar things in the Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And then Hebrews 12, 15, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and, it be, and by it many become defiled. The MacArthur Bible Commentary says that this is an interesting phrase in Galatians 5.9 because leaven is often used in scriptures to denote sin because of its permeating power. Leaven, in reality, is essentially yeast. Something by using a very small amount um, makes, a big, makes a big difference and makes dough rise. Um, sorry. It doesn't take much leaven to make dough rise, but you probably know the bread we use for the Lord's Supper lacks yeast or any other leavening agent. Well, something that I kind of knew, but I read this and I thought I would share it. This is for us to remember when we don't use uh, leaven in the Lord's Supper bread. Um, that's to help us to remember that the Israelites had to flee Egyptian bondage before the bread had time to rise. So that's why there's no leaven in our bread. And that's why it's kind of flat and tastes different than other bread that you eat. So... Overall, don't sleep on the little things actually being the big things in your life. God can use something as simple as a baby's smile to bring us back to when our children were babies. God can use David's small stone to bring down the giant named Goliath. Uh, God used a tumor the size of a ping pong ball to bring this quick-witted, not always Christ-centered man back to the faith. Um, so to the story I told you I was going to share, Darren and I had the opportunity to drive artists that came to the Light the Way Festival back on July 15th and 16th. Um, in talking in the catering room, we made a couple of unique discoveries, and this was, this was pretty cool. The third driver, because there were three of us, um, his name was Joe. And he was a very nice, very friendly guy. And, yeah, there's Darren and I. Um, super friendly guy. And the more I got to talking to him, we started talking about different things. And he said, well, you know, since my brain surgery, yada, yada, yada. And I kind of went, well, stop. You had brain surgery? And he had a stroke in within a month of my brain injury. And he had the same surgeon at the same hospital. Um, and he too has become a far more faithful man since that event. And I just looked at him and I said, what are the odds that we would both be here in the same room today? Um, and it's not odds, it's God. Um, another God-ordained meeting, and this one was really neat, one of the guys volunteering um, named Christopher and Darren got to talking in the catering room. They were sharing and figured out they were both drummers. They talked some more and it came out that Christopher had flipped his truck on a country road in Ozark in 2006, the same year as the two brain surgeries now. Darren said, wait, it wasn't off this road down by this, was it? And he said, yeah, Darren worked that wreck. Christopher had flipped his truck, totaled it, and just climbed out and was trying to walk away, virtually unharmed. He had a bruise on a hip. Darren and a few others had stopped him to assess his injuries, of which Christopher, again, just a bruise on a hip. Darren and I still aren't 100% sure why the four of us ended up in that room together, but I'm pretty sure it was to celebrate God's work in our lives. Um, and Light the Way overall was pretty awesome. I got to meet several artists, most of whom I had never heard before. Again, I don't listen to Christian music as a rule, but I'm starting. the more of these I go to, the more artists I'm finding that I do like. And the guy that I told you about, Ben Fuller, um, he was very impressive and very intense. He's the one in black and white up there. He reminded me of my friend Sean Harris from back in Tennessee and equaled his intensity and would have been in my posse in college. Guaranteed, he'd been sitting right there. I would say something stupid. He'd be like, just sit down, Charlie. Just a, a thick, tall, bearded man with passion in his eyes. On the ride from the airport, Ben shared his testimony with me. 
And I don't mean like he just told it to me. Like, I mean, he is sitting beside me and like touching my arm and just like very expressive when he talked. Big guy, so it was a little intimidating. I'm like, huh, please don't let me wreck this car. Um, and he had, God had brought him through some extraordinarily dark times. And he made it through and was better having gone through it and was thankful for all those things. And then he aggressively asked me to share my testimony with him. And I did so. And have you ever been talking to somebody and you wonder, man, have they zoned out? Are they even listening? I mean, does this guy, is he just asking to be kind? Uh, well, he's not that guy. Um, he interrupted me as I was going on. Well, was it this or that? Well, what happened next? How's that impacted your life since then? Man, I had a buddy that went through that and on and on. We arrived at the venue, we got out, took out his bags, gave me a giant hug, and then he stepped, he then, after the hug, he stepped back and he looked at me and he goes, you hug like a southerner. Oh, hug like a southerner. I don't know what that means. But then I shared with him that I was from Tennessee and Georgia. He laughed and then it grabbed me and hugged me and almost broke a rib that time. But anyway, it was good. Later that day, I got to spend a little time with Brandon Heath as well. Um, I'd never heard any, well, it turns out there's a couple of his songs that I had heard because we sing them in church or we've heard them other places, but this man was hilarious, and he asked me a very interesting question. He said, have you enjoyed spending time with any particular artist so far? I told him I had, and unlike last year, every artist has been cool and upfront and honest and kind. And he said, unlike last year? Uh-oh. And then he named, without me saying anything, and he said, I bet it was this guy and this guy. And I didn't confirm, or I just kind of laughed, and I was like, okay. And then I remembered my lovely wife saying to me before I started this thing last year, uh, just remember, the Christian music community is pretty small, pretty tight. Just keep that in mind. I'm like, haha, yeah, um, sure, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you made those guesses, but I'm not going to confirm that. So we laughed, joked, and then we were coming up on the Glenstone exit, and he says, hey, did I see that there's an Andy's frozen custard up here somewhere? And I said, yep, there's one right down the road. And I said, I bet I know the guy working today. He was, he was working with us when I worked there several years ago. And he said, stop. And he pulls out his phone, calls one of his buddies back in Nashville and says, okay, on FaceTime, repeat to that man what you just said to me. So I told him. And he's, he takes the phone back and he says, yep, the former marketing guy from Andy's is my driver. We're about to hit Andy's and you get nothing. <laughs> Hangs up the phone. And I guess I looked at him confused, and he was like, oh, that's one of my best friends. He goes to Andy's all the time in Spring Hill and never invites me to go with him, so uh, I had to rub it in a little. So as we were leaving, country had come to town. Next slide. So this is as we're pulling out of the Glenstone Andes. And as I've said since I'd been in this area for two months, you don't have to be Southern to be a redneck. That, you see the rear shock of that Lexus is completely just, it is stressed to the max. There's tires. The whole man's life is back there. So he, he said, well, I feel right at home now. I said, well, you should. Um, so to end the Light the Way event, Governor Parsons, Vicki Hartzler, Shane Scholler, who, I'm worked with, who I worked with for a couple of years, and a few other um, politicians shared some uplifting words with the crowd before Lecrae took the stage. Now, before Lecrae confused the crowd with some of his biggest hits, which they had clearly never heard, he, stated, he shared his story, this story with us. He said his father and uncles were always in prison, and he visited them in prison frequently, both as a youth and as a young adult. He assumed it was his lot in life to end up in prison as well. He thought it was just a cycle for his family. But then he said, who here knows that God is a cycle breaker? You don't have to be the negative things you've seen in your life. You don't need to be in jail on accident as a prisoner. He needed to be there on purpose, visiting with and praying with the prisoners. 
He visits prisons to share hope and life with the inmates. And this is partially because his brother was sentenced to 25 years to life a few years ago. His brother, in his first four years, every time he visited him, was angry, depressed, but then sincerely felt bad for the reasons he's in there. He wondered why he did the things to get him put in there. His brother knows he can't change his circumstances, but he can be changed by his circumstances. He started taking classes in prison for reading and writing. He started writing for the prison magazine, and then the county prison magazine, and then the state prison magazines, or the, the county prison magazines, and then the state prison magazines. And now his articles are getting into Sports Illustrated, Vogue, and now all the online publications since no one prints um, magazines anymore, all from inside the prison walls. Then he started taking financial literacy classes. He used those classes to change his kids' financial futures, and now his kids will pay their own way through college from what he is learning behind the prison walls. This led Lecrae to visit prisons and to get to know the prisoners on death row. He shared a story of visiting a guy about his age on death row in Louisiana at a prison called Angola. He visited this man who was waiting on his day of execution. He fully expected this guy to be sad, mad, distraught, crying, something. He said he turned the corner and saw a man with joy. And he said he was joyful. He was joyful because in prison he found Jesus. Had he not went to prison, he said, I never would have found Jesus. And it struck Lecrae that he complains about small things, traffic, not enough milk in his cereal. But this man sentenced to death is smiling. He had joy. Before we complain about stuff, let's be thankful that we have breath in our lungs to complain with. He said that this man told him to appreciate the small things, the small things we take for granted in our lives. And again, my sermon was written before I heard this. If you woke up this morning, raise your hand. Now, this was him. You guys can do this or not. But before he started, he started his set, he said, if you woke up this morning, raise your hand. If you had a meal today, raise your hand. That's a blessing. If you had water in which to take a shower, raise your hand. That's a blessing. You are so abundantly blessed. And we are so abundantly blessed. We can't even fathom how blessed we are. And if you can't see the blessings, just start walking through your day and count the blessings that everyone in this world doesn't have in their lives. And you'll be changed if you do so.